0: going on guys, Kevin Estella with Fieldcraft Survival. This is the Fieldcraft Survival podcast. This one is brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. And this podcast is called Coffee and Questions, volume one. Coffee and Questions is an idea that kind of just came to me. You know, I've, I've been answering questions on Instagram for a very long time. And I've been saying, hey, send me your questions about gear, travel, hunting, fishing, you know, Any fieldcraft trivia, anything like that, and you guys have been pretty awesome about shooting me messages. And you know, certain messages I feel bad because I can only respond to in like fifteen seconds. So, in this podcast, what I'm going to do is pull up my mug of Black Rifle Coffee. They're the sponsors. Makes sense, right? Like we're good friends with Black Rifle Coffee. I'm not going to drink some other. Company, I'm going to drink Black Rifle. Um, so I'm going to pull up my cup of coffee here and I'm going to answer your questions in greater depth and breadth because that's what they deserve. Uh, coffee in questions is going to be an ongoing series. So if you want your question answered, all you got to do is shoot me a message when you see it on my weekly Instagram. Uh, ask me a question that usually is on a Wednesday. And I usually will write that as I'm having my first cup of coffee from home. Uh, I throw it in my Ninja coffee maker and I make my own coffee. And then when I get here to the office, I have my additional cups of coffee, usually with like a Keurig, because we don't want coffee grounds all over the place. So uh, yeah, we are going to answer your questions. We're gonna consume a lot of coffee. I would highly suggest that you guys pull up your favorite blend of Black Rifle coffee, whether it's Gunship, Silencer Smooth, Beyond Black, you name it. Uh, and listen to my responses. And if you guys want to ask me a follow-up question to something I said, shoot it to me on Instagram and I will answer your follow-up to something that I said in this podcast. Guys, like I said, Black Ruffle Coffee, they're great friends please, please reach out to them on social media. Their website is blackriflecoffee.com. You can check them out on Instagram. They're on Twitter and you can find their products all over the country uh, as well as online. So guys, let's uh, get right down to it. This is Coffee and Questions Volume 1. Get your coffee, get your caffeine fix as I get mine. What's up guys? Kevin Estella with Fieldcraft Survival. This is going to be an interesting podcast because it's almost going to be like a an interview that you guys are a part of. Uh, you'll notice if you take a look at my Instagram feed weekly, I ask, hey, does anyone have any questions? Does anyone want to talk about anything? Fire away. Let me know if you have any questions about gear, clothing, skills, experience I've had, things like that. And <clears throat> I've compiled some of those questions into a document. And I'll shout you guys out by your Instagram name and what the question is, and I will give you my take on it. And I figure this is going to be a reoccurring type of podcast. So if you like this content, if you want me to expand upon something in greater depth than I can in one of those stupid Instagram replies that's only like 15 seconds long, then please send me your question and say, please answer this one in a podcast and I'll be happy to. Now, if you guys aren't familiar with me, I'm the lead survival instructor or the director of training or whatever you decide to title me this week here at Fieldcraft Survival. I've got over two decades of experience teaching outdoor skills. Not a military guy, so please don't ever confuse me with one. I I never served. My background is in the great outdoors. Right, I spent many years as a professional canoeing and kayaking instructor. I had my own company. I worked for the Wilderness uh, Learning Center as the lead survival instructor from 2007 to 2012. Traveled all over the world testing equipment for all different companies. I've written over 160 magazine articles, a best-selling book. So I've done a good amount of stuff. Uh, I'm not done yet. And I enjoy answering questions for folks because I know that when I was coming up in the great outdoors, the, the great outdoor space, there were always folks that were willing to answer my questions. So this is kind of my way of paying it forward back on to you guys in the way that good folks did that for me. And I'll tell you, there's no such thing as a, as a stupid question. I feel like how people respond to questions that can be really stupid. It also can be kind of prickish. And even though I've got some, some, uh, interesting tendencies, I promise I won't, won't hurt you too bad if I give you a smart response. So what I'm going to do for say like the next 35 minutes, maybe 40 minutes, I wanna answer some of these questions. I'm gonna drink some of this Black Rifle Coffee. As you guys know, we're we're good friends with Black Rifle Coffee. I just brewed up some Beyond Black, um, and I used a little bit of pumpkin spice latte creamer from our community fridge over here because I am a pumpkin slut. So guys, here we go. Uh, I'm just gonna get down to this. So these questions came uh, in Instagram from a number of people, and I'm just gonna read down the list and I'll give you an answer. So this one, the first question, ready? This is like the the virgin run of question and answer, even though I'm not a virgin. This one comes from r.leonard.86. He says, what are your top five skills in your book? Which ones did you have the most fun learning? Well, there's a reason why the first chapter of the book deals with mindset. And even though people would say mindset isn't necessarily a skill, I disagree. I think mindset is really important because mindset teaches you how to think, not what to think. So I will say that I learned that skill through my father. I learned that skill through my late mentor, Marty. I learned that skill through my Sayoc Kali training, where we do a lot of mindset training. I mean, if you think about it, it's a bladed system where if you do not know how to think, the consequences of your actions can be detrimental to your life. So Sayoc trains its practitioners to be thinkers, problem solvers, and that has never, ever, ever served me wrong. So I would say number one of all the skills is how to think, not what to think. And that's why it's the first chapter in the book. The second, probably most important skill is fire making. Uh, You can get by without a knife in the woods. It's not easy, but you can definitely make do. But if you're able to make a fire, then you're able to sustain your life. So fire making is one of those skill sets that's covered in the book, and I go into great depth on it, and I always enjoy practicing fire skills with friends when we go camping. Probably the third most important skill there uh, would be the knife skills, learning how to use your knife, how to carve with your knife, how to handle your knife properly, how to sharpen your knife. So all very important. So mindset, fire skills, knife skills. Another very important skill set in there, I would say, is absolutely, absolutely cordage. Um, cordage is one of those skill sets that allows you to do more with line and whether you're using 550 cord, natural cordage, you'd be amazed at what you can accomplish when you have good cordage. So those are the first four. I don't know about number five. I mean, it's a toss up. We could argue shelter skills. We could argue that it's first aid skills. I really don't like the idea of putting first aid skills in a book. So a lot of what I put in my book. I tried to make it as timeless as possible, but we know that medical standards are constantly changing. So in the second book that Fieldcraft is publishing, which Mike tells me the way it's going to turn out is going to be even better than the first. So I'm super excited for that. Um, I don't even go into medical skills because I would encourage you to find a legitimate medical program. Even our Fieldcraft uh, classes, stop the bleed classes, community first aid classes that are teaching you the current standards. All right, next question. This one comes from MarkSat0811. A small day pack or belt setup for day hikes or exploring away from camp? Well, if you are already carrying a full-size rucksack on your back, you really don't want to carry a day pack uh, unless your day pack is part of your rucksack where it just clips together with fast-tech buckles. Maybe you have a fanny pack that you're riding underneath your rucksack's hip belt the the waist belt, maybe that's all that you're carrying. Maybe you've got something that you've got inside your day pack that you can throw in a cargo pocket of your your shorts or your pants, right? Um, I'm an advocate for building my emergency kit out of the water container that I use the most, right? Which is a heavy canteen, titanium canteen. The way I look at it is if I'm exploring around my camp, if I'm scouting, looking for things, I'll throw that canteen over my shoulder bandolier style. I'll have all the kit that I need on there. Just to spend the night, if I ever had to to crash for the night. So personally, small day pack uh, you can carry one. It's just a pain in the balls. Uh, belt setup, yes you can, but I'd rather carry a canteen bandolier style. All right, next up, cranking through these. This one comes from Will underscore R underscore. Do you have a get home bag, and what is your philosophy on them? All right, so this one's going to take a while. Yes, I do have a get home bag but it doesn't look like something that you would see in the book of Eli or the road or anything like that. My get home bag looks like a regular backpack. I know what my physical capabilities are. I know how far I can travel. Um, One of the important aspects of physical training is understanding your limits. So I know how far I can trek or ruck with a bag over my back. I also know from work to where I live, it's about 25 minutes by car and it follows a water source. Now that water source is very clean. It's one of the greatest rivers you can fish here in Utah. So I don't have to worry about carrying a lot of water, but what I do need to worry about on my trip to get back home would be adequate protection from the elements. So in my get home bag, I do have extra layers of clothes. I have a change of socks in my get home bag. I have just a couple snacks to kind of keep me going, Um, but I'm not carrying anything crazy in there um i don't want to i mean even though i do have firearms on me i keep them concealed i don't like the idea of walking around showing your 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 hand right i don't like the idea of other people automatically understanding what your capability is or carrying something that is going to make people want to take them from you so i'm a firm believer in discreet carry Uh, There's an old Filipino expression. I'm half Filipino. Old Filipino expression is weapons should be felt and not seen. And you can interpret that a few different ways. I believe that you should not let your opponent know, or you should not let anyone know that you have weapons on you in the first place. All right. Only girl Graham is the next Instagram uh, person that asked me a question here. And... What's up with you get a cookie reference? Well, every once in a while on Instagram, I'll put up a question, right? And that question could be something as simple as, hey, what's the best barbecue sauce, right? Or something stupid like that. Or um, what's your favorite uh, Swiss army knife? I don't don't know, whatever. And instead of just giving the, hey, good job, which what does that really mean? It's kind of like when you're student and your teacher gives you just a check mark on your paper with no other comments it's like what does that mean did you just kind of whip through checking to see if i completed it or did you check for accuracy well instead of saying good job i say you get a cookie um and that comes from chris rock because years ago he did a skit where chris rock is talking about how certain people and i won't even say who but certain people uh are proud of saying things that they do that you should do already like i've never been to jail well guess what you should not supposed to be in jail. I've got a job. Well, you're supposed to have a job. And at one point in his skit, he says, what do you want a cookie? Uh, and I'm totally butchering that skit. And he obviously performs it much better than I do, but, uh, that's where that comes from. So what's up with the, you get a cookie reference. It's Chris rock. Next question. This one comes from Chris G underscore zero eight five, six. Glock 29 or 44 mag revolver for bears slash lions for eight days slash nights in Northern California. First off, you're going to Northern California, which is part of California, which is occupied America. So God bless you. I hope you get out without being turned into one of the woke mob. Secondly, if you're talking about Northern California, the 44 mag may be slightly overkill, for what you could encounter there um i've shot the glock 29 my buddy george franick uh officer george for those of you guys that know him uh og he's got a glock 29 i've got a 44 mag revolver i can shoot both okay for the first round second round i can shoot the glock 29 a lot more accurately within a smaller split a shorter split what i mean by that is I can manage the recoil on the ten mil Glock twenty nine much better than I can the forty four mag. Uh, the forty four mag, all things being equal, I mean it's pushing a much heavier bullet. Um, you know we're talking about a ten mil versus a forty four mag, so something that's slightly larger than thirty caliber versus something that's forty four caliber. Um, now, the forty four mag inspires confidence. Uh, it's a great, great gun. Uh, I prefer Buffalo bore ammunition for both of them, but if I did have to go with you on this trip to California, oh dear God, I would go Glock 29. Um, if I could, I'd actually go Glock 20 because the 29 is like the compact version. It's very similar to like a Glock 19 in size, but the Glock 20 is the full frame version. So it's similar to the Glock 21 or the 17, same thickness as the 21. Hold on. Coffee time. Hold on. Oh, yeah. Um, I will say that that Glock 29, though, has great uh, attributes in that it's compact, lightweight, easy to conceal, easy to carry. And depending on where you go in Northern California, if you're going like high country, you might not want to tote around the weight of a full-size 44 mag revolver. So if I had to choose between those two, Glock 29. All right. This next question comes from Lex Mora. 31. All right. Let's see how many more questions. Oh, We're we're cranking through these. I'm going to go into some detail here. What is your favorite Filipino food? All right. Well, I will tell you that I'm kind of basic with my Filipino food. Uh, My dad, when I was a little kid, my dad would make Filipino food every once in a while, but my dad was always a fan of Chinese food. And the great thing about Filipino food is that there are so many different cultures that uh kind of dr- uh have it, like added to Filipino culture over the years, right? So here's a little history lesson. The Philippines has been occupied by many different um many different cultures, but never forever. Right? So for a while the Japanese occupied it. For a while the Spanish occupied it. For a while even the United States occupied the Philippines. So if you think about it, some of the Filipino food might look like Asian dishes with noodles, right? Like pancit. Pancit's one of my favorites. Um, if you guys have never tried pansit, it's rice noodles and Oh dear God, it's incredible. Then there is lumpia. Now, if you've never seen lumpia before, you might mistake it for egg rolls, but it's not, it's kind of like picture marinated pork with carrots and put in that egg roll, uh, outer layer, and then fried on both sides. And I mean, every good Filipino, every self, self-respecting self Filipino definitely, definitely knows about lumpia. Um, so I'd say between pancit and lumpia, I mean, pork adobo, chicken adobo, when my dad used to cook that as a kid, oh my gosh, I remember my mother freaked out because that's often cooked with Uh, a lot of vinegar and it makes the whole house stink of vinegar, but it comes out really good when, when it's all said and done. All right. So I'm a, I'm a fan of those three. Like I said, I'm very basic when it comes to those three. So we're talking about lumpia, pancit and pork and chicken adobo. All right. This one, next question comes from the underscore Tinder underscore warrior. And I'm wondering if that is Tinder, that dating site. What's the hardest lesson you've ever had to learn twice and what made you laugh today? Well, I'd say making the same mistakes over and over with ex-girlfriends, that's the hardest lesson. I mean, it's said that insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome. And to be quite frank, if someone ever says, well, my type of person, whether it's a guy or a gal, doesn't matter, my type of person is X, Y, Z and they only date XYZ. Well, if they only date XYZ and it never works out, can they really say that that person is their type? Can they really say that type is meant to be their type? So I would say the hardest lesson I've had to learn twice is just doing some dumb stuff with some ex-girlfriends, like, you know, believing that it's going to turn out one way when it really doesn't. So I'd say that's probably it. And what made me laugh today? uh, I'm going to give a shout out to my Co worker, the fabulous Jen Caro. She recently came back from a road trip to Arizona and she did a uh, a couple of videos for me that I'm passing on to a company that I'm working with called Deemer Box. If you guys don't know Deemer Box, they make awesome stereos out of uh, speakers, awesome speakers out of Pelican cases. And uh, let's just say Jen is absolutely hilarious. So, what made me laugh today? That's Jen. All right, next question comes from. Bulletman 212. What types and amount of roping and cordage would you put in a rope bag for a motor vehicle? Well, that one really comes down to application. Uh we can start with 550 cord. Everyone knows 550 paracord. 550 paracord, great all-purpose cordage. We know that we can braid it to do like a two-strand reverse wrapped, you know, twice the diameter uh, cord. We can do a flat braid with three. We can do a round braid with four. We can do a flat plate of five, right? Five, seven, nine, 11, whatever. Um, so I'd say 550 cord is great to have in your vehicle. If I have a hundred foot Hank of 550 cord, I break it down to 150 foot, 25, 12.6 uh, and 6.3 lengths. In fact, I walk around every single day with a 6.3 Foot length of paracord in my left front pocket, and it's just habit, and I use it all the time. For a vehicle beyond the 550 cord, you definitely need to have a recovery strap, and you can decide if you want to go dynamic or just a static strap. Um, so, in my vehicle, I do carry a very, very like uh, stout 30,000 pound recovery strap, and it's used frequently. Uh, the two most used items in any overland vehicle or off-road vehicle are a recovery strap and max boards. boards. So those are the two that I would, I would say you definitely need 550 and a recovery strap. The other things, maybe some cam buckles for securing items to your roof and cam buckles, I would consider cordage because they're long, strong, and durable. Uh, aside from that, I mean, you can carry other cordage in your car, but I mean, you can address everything you need with with those basic ones. Um, You might want to carry some metal wire and a multi-tool, and that can be used for trail repairs of pieces of your vehicle that might fall off. So those are the four. All right, here we go. This one comes from JROD0504. Best method slash gear for on-body tourniquet carry in war, I think he meant warm weather, waistband, ankle, et cetera. Well, I'm happy that you're saying on body carry um, because it's easy to throw a tourniquet in your bag and then put it in your vehicle and then your vehicle gets in an accident and your bag's nowhere within reach. It's great to have certain items on your person, tethered to your person, attached to your person. So let's talk about each of these. Uh, waistband carry. If you're going to waistband carry a tourniquet, you can go a couple different routes. You can do what the instructors at the SIG Academy do or many of my friends over there where they use the elastic bands and they attach it horizontally to their belt roughly at the one o'clock position. So that doesn't interfere with a proper pistol draw stroke if you're carrying just forward of three and it really doesn't get in the way of like sitting down where it's jabbing into you. You can also go with a dedicated tourniquet carrier, like the one we have here at Fieldcraft. And that one can be worn inside or outside the waistband. And I prefer, if I'm using one of those on a shooting class, I prefer to wear that at say like the seven o'clock or the five o'clock position. I don't like things at three and nine because it gets in the way of me just walking and swinging my arms. As far as waistband, uh, that pretty much covers it. Ankle. For a long time, I used a wilderness tactical ankle uh pouch which allowed me to carry tourniquet uh compression bandage and uh some quick clot uh, gauze we actually have a brand new ankle rig coming out that is made out of neoprene and it's pretty gucci you should definitely check it out um the important thing like i said is that you carry your critical gear on you, uh, in warm weather, ankle rigs can get a little warm. Uh, you're wearing shorts, keep that in mind. Uh, or if you're wearing shorts, you're not going to carry it on an ankle rig. You'll just look foolish. You'll also need to consider like, Hey, if I have, uh, you know, not skinny jeans, cause what self-respecting man is wearing skinny jeans. Um, but if you have jeans on, will it fit over the cuff of your jeans? All right, next up, Next question comes from Mark the Ronin. Just moved from dry California to snowy Minnesota. Any recommendation on travel, everyday carry, tornado survival? Oh, here we go. Bag of worms, coffee. Guys, you might wanna take a coffee break right now. Hold on. Okay. Travel recommendations. Well, if you're traveling across country, make sure, number one, you have all of your items that could get you some funny looks by law enforcement. You have all those items properly stored and secured. You also, if you're traveling across country, want easy access to those so you can bring them into where you're staying as opposed to leaving them in your car in the parking lot. Last year around this time, I drove across country And I did not like the idea knowing that I had firearm suppressors and firearms in my vehicle. So, you know, I didn't sleep very well when I pulled off to the side of the road because I was like, you know what, if I'm spending a night in a hotel just so I can shower, it took me three days. Uh, Each time I drove across country, I was like, I want to make sure I can you know, get to those items and get them on my vehicle. Um, and even though I took them out of my vehicle, I still had knives in there and I was like, damn, I don't I would hate to lose those. And I mean, you're an easy target if you have your vehicle all packed and people recognize that you're traveling and you're probably tired and you're gonna sleep well. So I would say just make sure you take in your valuables or you hide them really well, you bury them so people can't get to them. Everyday carry. Um, Everyday carry really shouldn't change all that much. Uh, If you're not carrying an everyday carry fixed blade, when you start getting to snowy Minnesota, you should be. Please try opening any of your tactical folders with gloves on. And for that matter, make sure you can manipulate your firearm with gloves on. Uh, It's real easy to say, oh, I'm just gonna carry a folder because they're super convenient. But when you have gloves, you lose dexterity. So make sure that you're carrying an everyday fixed blade. Uh, please check out my buddy, Bill Rapier from Amtac Blades. He makes one of the finest fixed blades you can carry for pocket carry uh, called uh, the Minuteman. That's what I have on me right now. And I wouldn't change a damn thing about it. All right. Uh, everyday carry, other stuff. Be prepared to spend the night in your clothes. Uh, simple, simple advice. We mention this in every single survival class. what you want to do is before you leave your house, think of if I had to spend the night, do I have the layering systems with me? And if you don't have those layering systems, you got to leave your house with them. So throw them in a backpack, put them in your car. You never know where you'll have to spend an emergency night. So if you are used to California where there's not much of a temperature swing, but then you go across country to Minnesota and there is start off simple Don't test yourself too drastically. Open all the windows in your house or at least in your bedroom. Turn off the heat to your bedroom and try sleeping on top of your covers. Let that room get really, really cold and see if you can do that. Then start adding layers to your everyday clothing and see if you can sleep comfortably in those. So that's my advice. As far as tornado survival, I mean man, this is a tough one. I never, I've never lived in tornado alley. I just had my hunting buddy, Dave, he and his whole family are driving across country right now. And they were in those terrible tornadoes that hit Kentucky. Um, What happened was they were in this town and all the air raid sirens went off. They made their way to the bunker and they were able to to ride it out. Uh, Dave told me this is a guy who's a former army ranger, former Connecticut state trooper. He's a guy who uh, responded to Sandy Hook. He was there in the building. Uh, he told me that there's nothing more humbling than seeing a tornado. The size of that tornado, the, the sound it makes. Um, so I can't answer what you should do for tornado survival other than you should look at your own home, where you're moving to, consider it's construction, Consider the, your route to the uh, tornado shelter nearest you, and then always, always, always run drills with your family members so they know exactly what to do in an emergency in case you're separated from them. So that's just common advice. <clears throat> Again, it's not anything that's specific I came up with, but it's just sound advice. All right, next question. J. Chuck White. Buckmark or Ruger for a race dragon and reasons. Well, I guess before I answer this question, I should explain what a race dragon is. A race dragon is a souped-up 22 pistol, and that term is popular by the United States Search and Rescue Operations Group, so US uh, SROG. Uh, it's a group similar to to fieldcraft in a way of professionals that teach survival training survival training uh sear training um they advocate in their book six ways in 12 ways out that a t- properly tuned 22 pistol will work for putting food on the table and i believe in that i've written about that i've used the 22 pistol for that and they're spot on uh i've owned a ruger back in the day i currently own a buckmark. and the reason why i, I Currently own the buckmark, and I'll probably get a second buckmark because they're just solid pistols. Like I'd advocate carrying a buckmark in your vehicle as a as a quote unquote truck gun because it takes a very little space. And in the same case, you can carry the ammo that you need to feed it and and boogie with it if you had to. Um the reason I like the buckmark is very, very easy to clean, strip down. Um it points really well. Tactical solutions out of uh, Boise, Idaho. They make accessories to lighten up your buckmark, and the buckmark with a red dot. I've got a, a vortex red dot on it. At twenty-five yards, if I hold that pistol on top of a, a rest, so now I've got both my palm or both the, the the bottoms of my hands on top of something soft and something that can stabilize the gun, like a rucksack. You can hold round after round after round in a golf ball sized hole, which is minute of squirrel at 25 yards out to 50 yards, probably a tennis ball, right? At some point you have to realize that the red dot you're putting on your pistol, the subtension of that red dot is larger than the target you're shooting at. So you kind of have to superimpose a, a larger red dot over your target, but you just put the center of that large red dot over your target and your rounds will hit within it. So, uh, I'm absolutely, absolutely a fan of the Buckmark. Uh, I'm talking right now to Jay Birch, a Yellow or yeah, Jay Birch, Jay Pulaski of Yellow Birch Outfitters, uh, to make a customized 22 pistol holster of my design because I think that existing 22 holsters are meant more for competition or casual plinking. I want a dedicated survival 22 holster for my Buckmark and we're gonna come up with something pretty pretty incredible. So stay tuned. Guys, just a reminder, um, I'm not done answering these questions, but I will record your question every time I put it out there on Instagram, and I will answer your questions. So today's podcast comes from 1215 and 1221. So now all you have to do is either email me or respond on Instagram and I'll answer your question on this podcast. And like I said, I'd rather give you a longer, more thought out answer in this podcast than just replying to, to Instagram. So get used to this, have some coffee with me on this regular podcast. All right, here we go. This next question comes from Will underscore RR. And the question is, is cotton clothing viable during survival, shift, natural disaster due to cost and availability? Well, I'm going to take a controversial stance on this one. There's an old adage, cotton kills, but that's only true in the winter. And it's true when cotton gets wet in the winter. If you look at the clothing worn in summer conditions in the tropics, it's cotton. So is cotton clothing viable during survival? Absolutely. It's all environmentally dependent, seasonally dependent. Okay. The other thing is, if you look at some of the garments that are being produced for Arctic travel, like a cotton anorak, a canvas anorak, canvas is cotton. So when you start getting to extreme, extreme temperatures, like Arctic temperatures, where you are not getting above freezing and you're dealing with sub uh, freezing temperatures in the teens, in the 20s, the 30s, well, any precipitation is coming down frozen. Now, of course you have to deal with your Uh, perspiration. But what's interesting about wearing like a cotton anorak um, is that it creates like a microclimate around your body. So is cotton viable during survival? Yes. I would say as long as you keep all of your clothing clean, uh, you avoid overheating, you dress in layers and you keep it dry. That's the acronym cold. um, I would say that you're going to be fine wearing cotton. But again, Make sure you keep it clean. You avoid overheating. You dress in layers, and you keep everything dry. All right, let's keep moving here. Good. So, okay, this one comes from NM Cube Three, and this question is: Good survival fix blade under one hundred dollars or under one hundred twenty. So, what I'd recommend for this one is something from the SE lineup. Uh, the guys over at SE are good friends. We carry them in the store. I'd get either the SE three or the SE four, um, get the Azula. If you're looking for something pocket-sized, uh, as far as other things that you might want to consider, you may want to look at, um, some of the knives from, uh, Fall Neven. Fall Neven is freaking awesome. Uh, people forget that the f1 which is they kind of like their flagship knife like the knife that really uh, put them on the on the radar that one is uh, the old Swedish Air Force knife so I'd say that one you can find in the standard configuration which is like vg10 that one you can get for about hundred bucks maybe 110 so you've got fallen you've got Essie, uh, another really good company Mora uh, get the Mora Garberg. Mora Garberg has just over a four inch blade. I think it's like four and a half inch and it's got a full tang construction. Now, not full exposed tang, but then again, neither does the Fall and even F1. And if you're buying this knife, by the way, for like a child or someone who's not super, super destructive with their gear, they will never break a Mora. They will never break a Fall even. They'll never break an Essie. Um, the other thing I'll recommend for a knife under a hundred bucks or under 120 bucks Get yourself a Victorinox Ranger. Uh, Victorinox Ranger is the uh, Swiss Army knife that I carry in my pocket every single day. And I think it's the perfect size. It fits my hand great. Not too big, not too small. It's kind of like the Goldilocks of knives. All right, let's keep moving here. Uh, Okay. This one comes from a crown five Oh nine. If you guys don't know, Alex crown solid dude, uh, met up with Alex back in February or March when we went up to Idaho, uh, Austin, Julie, and myself to work with Mark Warnke, the goat guy. Um, I've known Alex for a long time. He wrote a really solid review of my book for recoil off grid. And he says best hard shells. Now I'm assuming he's talking about jackets and he's not talking about tacos. I'm assuming he's not talking about, uh, you know, hard shell tents, which you would put on the roof of your car for overlanding. Um, so if we're talking to hard shells, I used to have, or I still do. I have two jackets from Arc'teryx. Now Arc'teryx went woke. Um, and I can't believe I just said woke twice in a podcast. There's three times. Uh, Arc'teryx leaf I got at the Arc'teryx outlet in North Vancouver years ago, and it's great, great gear. Um, but hard shells are kind of going the way of the dodo a lot of people are transitioning over to soft shells um i've got a prometheus design Works soft shell that i love wearing and out here in utah where we don't get a lot of precipitation it's perfect for me out here um but if you're looking at some of the hard shells that are out there you want to still go with the companies that are known for technical mountaineering technical uh use i mean you can't go wrong with uh companies are, are used by professionals in different industries where they get wet all the time like Helly Hansen is popular with sailors and crab fishermen. Uh, mountaineering, mountain hardware. Um, North Face, eh. I mean, if you want to look like a basic college girl that wears Uggs and drinks pumpkin spice, I mean, it kind of sounds like me except for the girl part and I don't wear Uggs, I'm not Tom Brady. Um, well, I'd go with with those. So those that would be my advice. Just keep in mind, hard shells are, are going away. I mean, a lot of folks are either going with dedicated rain gear, Patagonia. Eh, I mean, again, it's another company that is a little political, but um, go with the companies that are used by the pros. All right, another question here. Let's see. I already answered what are my thoughts on Mora knives. Um, okay, here is one from a former student, the real Chris Mack. Finally headed out to SIG Academy first week of January. How was your experience there? Um, so I've gone to the SIG Academy nineteen times. First time I went to SIG Academy was one hundred two point five, and that was in like twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen. I followed that up with all of the handgun prereq courses, so one hundred three, one hundred four. I've done bullets on vehicles. I've done uh, low light handgun. I've done uh basic carbine advanced carbine mid-range carbine close quarter carbine uh on the shotgun side basic shotgun advanced shotgun um I'm sorry I didn't do the basic there I did the advanced um or did I do basic there I don't know I have to look through my my certif- certificates uh long range stuff they've got an amazing long range uh, cadre of instructors Andy Roy um Dave Hinkle Chris Caballero so shout out to Cav um SIG Academy is awesome. We're good friends with the folks over at Sig, and I will tell you that it's a world-class facility. Um I last class I took there was a 320 armor class. I'll never ever say that I'm a gunsmith, but I know how to take apart a, a 320, put it back together, and kind of function check it. But I'm not a gunsmith. If you guys want gunsmiths, you gotta talk to real gunsmiths. So uh that's my my feelings about Sig Academy. You can't go wrong. If you go there, you got to eat at Goody Coles. If you go there, you got to stay at the Exeter Inn. Um, Those are great places in the nearby area, small, non franchise places that you'll love. All right, let's do one more question here. We're coming up on 38 minutes. Uh, Let's see. That's my flannel. Yeah. You know, what can I say, Julia, you can wear it whenever you want. Um, Hmm. Okay. Let's go with this one. What coat are you wearing? This one comes from Luke Cusack. All right. The coat that I was wearing when I made that video is the first spear squadron smock. Uh, if you guys know anything about me, I am a nerdy bushcrafter. Um, a lot of people would say, well, are you a survivalist? Are you a primitive guy? Are you a modern guy? I mean, by virtue of what my dad had to do in the jungles of the Philippines, I'd say I'm more of a bushcrafter. I mean, he had to get by doing more with less and that's what he passed on to me. So just the other day I was at um, a photo shoot that I was doing with Austin and with Amber and Austin and I show up and Amber is like, Oh, one of these doors is locked. We can't get it open. So uh, I pulled out of my jacket, a length of paracord and were able to use it to, to prop the door open. You'll, probably hear about this on another podcast, but, uh, that jacket appeared in a few different videos and people are like, well, what's the story with it? Well, the squadron smock is kind of an homage to like a British smock and the British military has the concept of you fight out of your kit. What you're wearing should support all of your life support or should carry all your life support gear. So your emergency rations, your survival kit, your knife, flashlight, things like that compass. So, uh, Earlier this year, I bought one of these squadron smocks. It wasn't cheap. Uh, it's one of my favorite jackets. It's got a million pockets. And I like the idea that I can wear that jacket driving across country or whatever. And if I had to bail out of my vehicle, I've got stuff in that jacket for days, quite literally. So uh, that's the jacket I was wearing. It's called the First Spear Squadron Smock. Um, now, if you guys are interested in like survival clothing, I'm just going to give a shameless plug because why the hell not? It's my podcast. Or at least I'm the host of this one. Uh, I'm working with a company to develop a survival wool vest. And you'll be seeing me wear that a a whole bunch. It actually just appeared on the cover of American Outdoor Guide. So if you guys get that magazine and you see me smiling my ass off, carrying a canoe, that's the vest. All right. As I mentioned at the start of this podcast, I'm going to make this a regular, regular event. Uh, I want to answer your questions. I want to give them the response that they deserve. I'll try not to be too much of a jerk and I'll try to speak a little bit slower, even though the caffeine just gets me and I just keep going, but I enjoy answering your questions. I enjoy helping you guys out. Um, you know, recently someone said to me, well, what's your, your mission? Like what, what do you, what drives you? And I said, I enjoy educating people. I enjoy equipping people and I enjoy empowering people. So I guess I'm just going to sign off with that. Um, I hope you've learned something. I hope. I am able to answer some of your questions. I hope you found this entertaining too. And uh, with that, I hope you'll continue to be educated, equipped, and empowered. All right, guys, it's Kevin Estelle with Fieldcraft Survival. Thank you so very much for listening.